Today we are back from the 2022 Comic Con. What an incredible experience. What an incredible show. We are talking all about everything that went down in Hall H with the incredible historic Marvel presentation where they returned to give possibly their biggest and best presentation that they have ever shared with us, the fans. It was it was momentous. It was incredible. It was deeply moving and it introduced us to the world of Namor and, 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 and his role, Prince Namor, Submariner in the Marvel Universe via Wakanda forever as he as he goes up against what appears to be the Wakandans. And as we segue into our Marvel versus DC series, what is better than all of the ways that Namor and Aquaman are the same? What unites them? What divides them? What, what, what truly sets them apart and what different uh, events drove them to, to drove Marvel to, to further uh, uh, differentiate and depict Namor in this new exciting way. We talk it all over as we have some really great discussions about all things comic books, all things pop culture on today's Rob Observations. And here we are back together again for another episode of Rob Observations. I am Rob Liefeld. I am your host. This is the Rob Observation um, crazy power hour of Up With Comic Books. There's Up With People and there is Up With Comic Books. And baby, we are Up With Comic Books. At least we are here. I am. I hope you are. This is a great show. It is post-Comic-Con 2022 the vibes were off the chain. It was hopping. Um, I, I, I gave you a preview of just how it all seemed to be coming together last week when after one Wednesday night preview night, the energy was just electric. It was uh, kinetic. And, and here we are. I am back home. I am post-Comic-Con. We are going to talk a little about Comic-Con uh, and, and all that went down and the highlights and the big stuff. But as you know, Rob Observations exists to discuss all things pop culture, especially since now all things pop culture begin, start, end with comic books. It is an uncanny, unbelievable world. I cannot even begin to believe uh, that we that we exist in this crazy space because uh, it's just it's it's like nothing I have ever seen. It is truly like nothing that I have uh, I, I have ever seen in that it's just everywhere. The world is comics and comics are the world. This morning, for instance, I mean, I'm back, I'm back for, I'm, I'm, I'm back from Comic-Con and, uh, and, and of course, you know, the morning news, everyone is covering the Marvel Hall H panel. They are covering the, uh, incredible, incredible, uh, presentation that Marvel comics gave that ended with the very powerful Wakanda forever. A, uh, a very emotional room. So so I'm gonna I'm just gonna kick off my personal comic book highlight uh, from Comic Con again, which which I said on all of the networks, on all of the major, major uh, network shows, cable shows, they were they were covering Comic Con. Okay, so so it was like this is the national stuff, not local, not local, just because it's 90 minutes up the freeway here, down the freeway here in Southern California. It's Good Morning America. It's the Today Show. It's CNN. It's MSNBC. It's CBS. This morning, everybody was covering 
the dominance, the absolute dominance uh, of, of really of Marvel in Hall H. And I'm going to tell you, it was really an amazing and emotional uh, 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 time. I, 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 I'll, I'll be honest right now. Uh, there is a kicking awesome party uh, every Saturday night, every Saturday night down at Comic Con. It's the Entertainment Weekly Party. It's been going on for 15 plus years. It is the biggest. It is the show of shows. It is the one that everybody uh, enjoys the most. It is really the best thrown party of all of the possible parties that exist. Uh, it, 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 it's a big item. It's a big ticket. It's a big draw. And I have been fortunate enough to be able to go to just so, so many crazy uh, installments of this party. And Kevin Feige is always um, there. He is in his Marvel bungalow. He is always very kind, very generous. I was uh, effusive in, in, in sharing with him just how emotional I felt that entire Hall H Marvel Comic Con presentation was, and he said, "Rob, I mean, I could feel it. It was, it was." And he was like, "I'm so happy you were there. I'm so happy you were in the hall." And he said he could feel it too. He could definitely feel the stir. And 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 Kevin began uh, the, the the Hall H panel. And for those of you, possibly, because I got I got I got to you know again use comic book uh, basic publishing instincts on this that not everybody is going to know what Hall H is. Hall H literally is the last hall, physical hall, of the Comic Con- Comic Book Convention Center. They can't build past H. Other the other otherwise it would go A B C D E F G H I J. Okay, they can't do H I. They can't do A I or J because they ran out of real estate. It runs then into the Hilton Bayfront Hotel, and there's just no more room. Uh, for years and years, they kept wondering how they could expand, but they have literally taken up as much uh, of the real estate that they possibly can in order to create this amazing experience. And I was in 1991. I was there. I I spoke of this mini uh, podcast. I spoke of it on the last episode that 1991 was when uh, they opened that facility. It was also the summer that X-Force sold 5 million copies. I was fortunate to be there to sign. I got in a little bit of uh, trouble because the crowds um, that were there for X-Force created chaos in in the... uh, in the aisles and look, the crowd control stuff was all something that everyone had to learn, had had to, it was a learned experience. And so eventually they moved us off. Uh, they moved me off and back to the, um, underneath the furthest kind of, uh, the, uh, of the first floor into the back area, which, which would, if you went upstairs, it would be the, the sales pavilion. But the bottom line is that, uh, I, I watched it go from hall A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and again, you know, it ended at H, but H is an 18, eight, seats 8,000, 8,000, 8,000, amazingly fanatical, passionate fans who pile in to Hall H all weekend long to enjoy the amazing uh, panels, whether it's Keanu Reeves talking about, you know, the upcoming uh, John Wick installment, or whether it's a director symposium whether it's, uh, you know, women in the Entertainment Weekly's women in Hollywood, women in power, uh, very moving. It's always right before the Marvel panel. DC generally does their panel in in Saturday afternoon, as they did this year. They had the Saturday afternoon slot, but Marvel owns the 5 o'clock slot. I was there in 2010 when they brought the footage of Thor 
and they brought the footage of Captain America, and both were very brief. Brief. I mean, literally, they had just been shooting 10 days on Captain America uh, when they showed us really the earliest footage and very little of Chris Evans whatsoever. It was all Red Skull footage and some of the Nazi stuff. And uh, that's what they showed us. And then they showed us some of the Rainbow Bridge and the earliest scenes possible with Odin interacting with Thor. And it was a really exciting panel. This is they're expanding beyond Iron Man at that point because we had we had we were we it was the summer of Iron Man two, so they were tickling us with how they were going to expand. And then as the show was over, as the panel was over, as Kevin Feige was saying goodbye to everybody, Downey Jr. runs on the stage, and he says, "Hey, Kevin," and Kevin's like, "Robert," and he's like, "We're not done yet. We got we, we got some business to attend to." And boom. He's like, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to bring out to you Scarlett Johansson. Boom. You know, Chris Helmsworth, he comes back out. Chris Evans. Uh, it, it all built up to, you know, Sam Jackson and then Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. And it was like your Avengers have assembled. They grabbed each other's uh, arms. They extended several bows. The crowd was on its feet. They were cheering. They were just going nuts. I ran out of that Hall H to a dinner that I had across the street at the Omni at the fish restaurant. And awaiting for me was Todd McFarlane, Eric Stevenson, and Robert Kirkman. And I ran over there panting. I could not believe the Avengers just assembled in front of me. I saw the theatrical presentation, the actors of Thor, Captain America, Black Widow, Hulk, you know, they brought out Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye. They brought out Sam Jackson. It was like, it's the Avengers. And it was so just riveting. Cap, Iron Man, Thor, Black Widow, uh, Hawkeye, and the Hulk. It was so exciting. I mentioned before the only time that I saw that equal, the only time I saw that same energy uh, summoned was when the Deadpool trailer leaked. And you can watch that. It's online. It's, it's on YouTube. You'll see Char um, Chris Hardwick kind of like lose his mind as the crowd stand gets to its feet and pounds and screams and says, play it again, play the trailer. Cause the trailer was such a giant hit and it, and it ends with Deadpool jumping over that, that car and shooting those guys through the head and the, 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 the one bullet taking out the three guys ripping through their heads. And it was like something the comic book fans, especially comic book fans who were raised on Marvel comics had never seen anything like this before. And so, so over the years, I, the first time I brought my son was in 2014 and they previewed the Justice League or Superman versus Batman and they brought out Ben Affleck and Henry Conville and uh, Gal Gadot. And here's the weird thing. Zack Snyder was there. He brought them all out. Uh, uh, Henry went kind of flanked to the left. Uh, ben Affleck was in the center at the right and Gal far uh, center. And then Gal, Gal Gadot was, was far right. And they all said nothing. They smiled and they waved to each of us. There was no questions. There was no interaction. They did not talk to Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder brought them out. People cheered and they went back. Now, honestly, what was more exciting prior to that was George Miller came out to preview an extended like eight minute clip of Mad Max Fury Road. And people just were not prepared to, to, to see that footage. And it, and, and it was the pursuit you know, with Furiosa and the brides in the back seat as they're being pursued and, 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 and they're, they're all, um, 
you know, Max is trying to get, get off the, the Mustang and, and, and jump onto the rig. And then they are all going into that crazy storm with the, uh, with the tornadoes and the swirling. And I mean, they showed all of this in this giant wraparound digital screen, which is something I've, I've never actually seen before. Warner Brothers was using a giant flex. It was, an, it was technology and screens that they could only use for their panel in 2014, previewing what's coming in 2015. So my son Luke, that was his first. He was 14 years old. He was so excited to be there. It blew his mind. He loved the Fury Road stuff. He loved the, 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 the hint of the, uh, the Superman... Batman uh, footage, meeting the Justice League who came out to greet all of us, but again, uncomfortably, did not utter a word, just kind of raised their arms, waved, bowed, nodded. Again, all this stuff is on YouTube. All this stuff is online. You can see it all. Uh, DC generally gets that one o'clock slot, but Marvel makes sure it closes the show. And and what I'm getting to is in 2012, when Marvel, in, in, in 2010, previewing what's coming in 2012, in 2010, with the Thor and the Cap footage showing what was coming in the summer of 2011, when they summoned those Avengers, I mean, the panel was over, Kevin was walking off, Downey Jr. running out, it was great. It was just played so wonderfully, and you left on such a giant geek contact high with 8,000 people, and I mean, I, I was probably that night jacked up for hours on end, and I think everybody who was at the table, McFarlane, Kirkman, Stevenson, and possibly Eric Larson, I think Larson was there too, they could tell I was just, oh, and this, and this, and then this, and then this, and this footage from Captain America, and this footage from Thor, I can't believe what we're seeing this. I mean, I was just on full tilt. Uh, it felt like that again for the very first time since 2010, since 2015 when they showed Deadpool. When Kevin Feige came out, because DC did their thing, they had their Black Adam, they showed their Shazam. But uh, Marvel is just on another level. And I mean, they're on another level from Star Wars, from Warner Brothers, from DC, from everybody. Kevin Feige is a master showman. And he stopped, he, he pulled out all the stops. There was a trailer, I'm sure you've read about it, but it, it, it began when everyone said, are you ready for Marvel's return to Hall H? And the place went black. And then the giant screens lit up and it said... It's been a long time. The word, the words kind of emanated on the screen. It's been a long time since we have gathered together. Oh, it hit us all in the feels. I immediately, I, Rob Liefeld, sitting in my chair, chair was getting completely beclemped, choked up, eyes were watering. It said, we didn't know if we would see each other again, but together we united. We stood strong. We wouldn't let it keep us down. And now we have come together one more time or, or together, together again, one more time. And, and, and they, they managed to make the three years in between with the pandemic into a Marvel cinematic universe, Marvel semi-publishing, like it, it made it a story. We made it through the pandemic. We didn't know that if we would share space with each other again. But we survived, we powered through, and we found our way back. I mean, it was like powerful. And then boom, the clips hit, you know, um, you know, the superhero landing with Black Widow, with, 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 uh, with War Machine, with, uh, with Iron Man, with, with, with Winter Soldier. 
you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Screaming, the Flying, the Infinity War, the Thor. I, I mean, I mean the, the, the hammer coming into Cap's hands. Then it, then it showed you that, you know, Black Widow and Shang-Chi and the Eternals. And they, they caught us up with everything that's been going on. Doctor Strange into the Mouth of Madness. They had all three Spider-Mans from No Way Home when they land. And it's, and it's Tom and Toby and Andrew Garfield. And the place went nuts. And Kevin Feige came out in all of his enthusiastic glory. And said, I did not know after 2019 if I would ever take the stage again. And and I didn't feel like he was pressing emotional, dramatic buttons. He was saying what we were all thinking as we were gathered there. And we were giving he was giving us basically the, the Marvel equivalent of a warm hug. And he said, you know, everything that I told you was going to come out in July of 2019 has happened. It's all come out. And he put up on the screen and there it was, you know, Black Widow, The Eternals, Shang-Chi, Doctor Strange 2. I mean, it was all across uh, the board. He said stuff that we didn't tell you about has happened. You know, Moon Knight has happened. And uh, and, 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 and he showed that, that uh, you know, that Captain America Winter Soldier happened, that WandaVision happened. He, he, he showed how, you know, how Loki came together and Loki happened and and so all of the cinematic, uh, you know, the, all the, of the of the crazy Disney Plus shows that we've been so entertained by. And so he was very enthusiastic in wanting to share where, you know, where they were able to get to in spite of this terrible pandemic and this fear that he personally had. He expressed he personally did not know if he would ever stand on the stage and address us all again. And he acknowledged how much the fans mean to Marvel Comics and how Marvel Comics, how much Marvel means to the fans. And then he looked forward and he and he rolled out the dates. And you've read all about that. You don't need me me to reenact it. He you know started rolling out uh, stuff that was coming in the future. Phase five tickled uh, about Phase six, and then he started rolling the shows. Boom, She Hulk. You know, boom, Secret Invasion. For my money, the Secret Invasion trailer was the tensest, most grittiest kind of most tonally what I am looking for in my comic book content. Uh, it, it really, it really had a great edge to it with Colby Smolders really, uh, kind of scolding Sam Jackson, why he's gone dark, why everything goes to voicemail. Um, you've got Ben Mendelsohn back from, uh, Captain Marvel surrounded by scrolls, um, Rajon page or, or is it Ray John? Yeah, I, I think I'm saying it right. But, uh, who I've just been enjoying a ton of lately, especially his roles in Gray Man, the previews of him in uh, in in uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and here he is, boom, smack dab in the middle of the Secret Invasion. They give you glimpses of Amelia Clark. Uh, uh, it just it just carries you through a lot of the different casts, but you can tell it's it's um you know got a Mission Impossible, excuse me, a Mission Impossible feel, a Mission Impossible uh, uh, element to it. It it was it was super just dark guns being pulled people shape-shifting disappearing into the shadows you know giant overhead shots of 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 like uh armed like almost SWAT units like storming ballrooms I mean it just it just moved well it was was tonally in the right place it's, it, it was the one Secret Invasion was the one that excited me the most I, I've always loved the scrolls obviously they're not giving you the comic book version of the Secret Invasion Secret Invasion cannot be replicated in any way, shape, or form, but some of the themes can certainly make its way into a cool Marvel Shield, Nick Fury-focused um, espionage thriller. Uh, they, they then pivoted. They showed us Ant-Man, which looks fantastic. We got a glimpse of MODOK. We certainly got a great uh, performance by the actor who's playing uh, 
the high evolutionary. And guys, I was sitting there going, I got the high evolutionary. The high evolutionary was a character I first encountered in the pages of the Hulk comics in the, in the mid seventies when I was buying them. I then, I then encountered him in the pages of the fantastic four in a giant storyline that found um, high evolutionary going up toe to toe with Galactus power level wise. And yes, um, he was one of the few guys in the Marvel Universe who are able to go toe-to-toe with Galactus with everything at stake, and he grew to Galactus' size, and he wielded his tremendous cosmic power against Galactus, and uh, it was just a, a, a just a fantastic conflict. But I was like the high evolutionary who, um, you know, made all of his N-U men, new men, N-U-M-E-N, and uh, was responsible for the um, creation of Adam Warlock in the original kind of imaginings of this and uh i mean high evolutionary is a big big deal and the actor who portrays him whose name escapes me right now was standing just a few feet from me at hall h when the lights went up from the uh ant-man uh i'm sorry the guardians of the galaxy trailer and uh and and i'm mixing up my modox with my high evolutionary high evolutionary was featured in the guardians of the galaxy see how geeked out and excited i am i mean ant-man had kang the conqueror the last few scenes are kang pan up to jonathan majors approaching paul rudd who is a little glib and is uh, again you know they've de- they're, they're depicting paul rudd as extremely you know proud to have been part of the avengers unit that saved the world and appears to be maybe taking a little more credit than he is due but he is dining out on it writing a book it's clear uh, with dinner with his family, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer, they give him a hard time. They keep going, well, of course, you know, uh, you're always reminding us about how you saved the world. And then Michelle Pfeiffer's like, maybe you can write a book about it. And we've already seen him. You know, the funny part of that is we've already seen him at like a Barnes & Noble reading to kids and their families. And the name of his book is, you know, uh, Be Nice to the Little Guy and or, or Remember the Little Guy. So it's a lot of tongue firmly planted in cheek. But, but Peyton Reed who is just a, a great auteur, a great director. He handles it with panache and flair. I love all his movies from Bring It On to Down With Love to obviously all the Ant-Man movies. And uh, and so, but there's a real cosmic, you know, part of them getting into the quantum realm. And, they, and there was some really cool aliens and designs that I haven't seen before. It reminded me kind of of, a, of Marvel doing their cantina bit. There's a guy who completely looks like his face is made of wrapped paper with like the open folds in between uh, there, there's just really some visually incredibly visually striking stuff it was the guardians of the galaxy trailer that that introduced us uh to high evolutionary and when that was done high evolutionary is standing there the actor in his you know formal high evolutionary gear he's completely made up as if he's about to shoot on set now you know they've done this before uh tom hiddleston came out and did a giant monologue uh before age of ultron for uh um, or, or maybe it was before the Dark World, but he came out as Loki, staff and all. He was fully adorned, had the horned helmet, and came out and, and just kind of scolded and regaled the audience one um, Hall H for one Hall H presentation. And, uh, you know, it's not uncommon that, that they stunt these with actors or the, the characters themselves coming in their roles, interacting with us, kind of breaking that, that, ex- that, 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 that wall, that connection between us. And so the high evolutionary did this, and when he got up on stage, you know, he addressed everyone and said how much we all turned his stomach, and that the bile in his throat, uh, you know, was stirred by the putrid, uh, by our putrid presence. And then he really went maniacal, and he's like, "And I can't wait to dissect 
and take all dissect you all and rip you all apart and and it was really sick like joker cosmic joker level disturbing um rant and uh and it was great and then they escorted him off and it, it was great it was great it was a tremendous presentation chris pratt in addressing that this possibly could be the last guardians of the galaxy movie was seriously emotional got choked up turned to james gunn thanked him for including him casting him and said you know it changed his life and chris pratt said it really changed all of our lives and you can only imagine it's really exciting to see the family the brotherhood the bond that these all these um casts have shared over the many years i'm going to be honest uh, it's really fantastic to see James Gunn do Guardians 1, 2, 3. And to see Peyton Reed do Ant-Man 1, 2, 3. And Ryan Coogler, you know, of Creed, which is a movie I absolutely just can't, just could not love more. For him to do Black Panther and then them to touch on Wakanda forever. A deeply moving, deeply moving trailer, which... Um, very subtly deals with the fact that Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa has passed, uh, really reflecting, art reflecting life with Chadwick passing. And the scene where Angela Bassett screams that she is the leader of the most powerful nation on the earth and she has lost her family is um, gripping. I literally wondered like how many takes is that the first take when she just did it perfect when she summoned all her energy and all her rage. I mean, it's just such an incredible performance. I was so beyond impressed. The visuals, it all looks amazing. But I'm going to tell you, and this pivots us to our second part of our podcast today, is the debut of one of my all-time favorite comic book characters, period, and Marvel characters, is Prince Namor the Submariner. Makes his absolute debut uh, in the pages. In the pages. <laughs> on screen alongside the Black Panther cast as what appears to be uh, the representation of a giant storyline. It is a giant, giant storyline. Now, here's the deal. And this is where we are able to pivot. And the pivot comes in some of the interesting ways that they have differentiated Namor now as a result of... Um, and, 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 you know, it's funny. I got some brushback for this, but there is no... There's no brushback to be had. There's no. There's no. There's no brushback that you're capable of carrying here. It, it, it is what I'm about to share with you is complete and total. You know. Uh, uh, again, it, it's just facts, and the facts of the matter um, are 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 that 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 uh, they were. It was necessary to change Namor. Um, you know. Uh, in regards, in regards to uh, the fact that he's no longer part of Atlantis, they've changed that. They have absolutely um, changed his origins in order to differentiate him from Aquaman. And what, what this really opens up today is our new series that we're going to be involved in called Marvel versus DC. And, 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 and I, this just happens so, so naturally in, 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 in drawing the comparison and, and it really showed this weekend. I mean, I'm just casually, casually tweeting out my enthusiasm for what I see as how Marvel is now repositioning, reshaping, remaking the lore, uh, surrounding, uh, Namor. And, and, and the thing is, uh, Namor, who is played by, is it Tenoch 
or Tinoch, Tinoch Huerta. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry for butchering his name until I hear it pronounced, which I have not yet. And he was even on stage, but it just kind of went over my head. He is no longer in Black Panther. Now he's an undersea. He, 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 helms, he helms an undersea kingdom. And I thought the visual representation of Namor was fantastic. I love that they have adapted, you know, my one said, said I, my one friend said, I love the Mayan look of, of Namor. And another guy sniped at him. That's not Mayan. It's, it's Aztec. And, um, myself and a couple others have, have, have referred to it as Inca. And, and, and they're like, no, it's not. It's, it's Mayan. No, it's not. It's Aztec. You know, everyone is kind of in semi disagreement about what it is exactly reflecting. I guess the filmmakers, the filmmakers will tell us, but if you indeed, in fact, Google and a Mayan, uh, uh, you know, someone from an Aztec, uh, uh, associated visual and an Incan associated visual, you're going to get visuals that all very much familiar are, are familiar with each other are reflective of each other. But let's go with Aztec Mayan, uh, re- representation and, uh, it works. I think it works completely. It works completely. I am all on board. I am a hundred percent here from it, but part of it, part of shifting it is that he is no longer the ruler of Atlantis. Um, which he has been since his debut. He is now the ruler of Talokan. Of it's T A L O K A N Talokan. Talokan, an ancient civilization hidden in the depths of the ocean. Namor, Namor, Prince Namor, will stop at nothing to protect his people. Is one of the log lines from the movie. Uh, the uh, looks like he has a ceremonial outfit. There is an epic shot in the Wakanda Forever trailer where he is um, underwater and he is descending from the depths onto this giant uh, ornate throne. And he himself has this um, really cool ceremonial helmet and crown. And look, everything looks the way that Jack Kirby intended it to look. It just has that kind of otherworldly Aztec Mayan, Incan, and I'm just going to say it because I know it annoys some of you, but you know what I'm saying. Come on. Again, you, you Google all these images and they all kind of r- run one into the other. There's a certain design fo- element that they all shared. I, I am not trying to uh, offend anyone or do any um, cultural misappropriation. The bottom line is it looks like they were going for that kind of association to take him away from this um, kind of Aquaman space of Atlantis where Namor has always occupied. Namor, as many of you I do not believe know, predates Arthur Curry, predates Aquaman. Yes, he does. He predates him for almost, by almost three years. And people go, well, it's only three years. Three years is a long time. Have a baby. Watch the baby go from zero to three years. It will, in fact, blow your mind. You will be taken aback by this, Okay. Um, three years is long. Three years is how long that I waited between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back when I turned nine to 12, and then I went from 12 to 15 to get Return of the Jedi. So three years is a long time. Three years is a huge gap. And then you don't know when Namor was actually conceived and then put to paper and storytelling and inking and making and producing the pages and then sending them in so that it would go to press and arrive and the publication window does not always reflect the creation window. So again, Prince Namor, since his inception, was the 
Uh, he, even even I'm sorry, I just clicked on a website. The costume appears as though it is tied to Aztec or Mayan mythology. Okay, see nobody can nobody can make 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 certain which it is as yet because the movie hasn't come out. But the actor who is portraying Namor again, I'm gonna I'm gonna just destroy his name, Tenoch or Tinoch Tenoch Huerta is fantastic, and this um you know close up of him and the and the the, the stuff through the nose and, and the and the earrings and the ornate the jewelry the ceremonial garb the crown I just love this crown it's awesome this crown is killer um the earrings I just dig him he looks great he um I, th- I think I think he is going to become extremely popular and again let me segue and tell you and let you know if you not already know this if you can't pass this quiz I have mentioned this many 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 times. Uh, at the barbershop, the first time that I was able to obtain an actual Marvel comic was through a trade. I My parents had only let me read Richie Rich, Casper, Archie of Riverdale uh, comic books. And here at my barber, at my barber's, uh, the place that my dad got his haircut and he was bringing me for one of my first haircuts at five years old. He brought me in and Fred, Fred was the barber. And he said, well, you know, go ahead, grab a comic while I cut your hair. Because he had a cool like selection, I'd say of maybe like 60 comic books, two, two stacks of 30 comics on a shelf, uh, right, right there at couch level. And you could flip through them. He had magazines for men, like, like Newsweek, news magazines, life, you know, newspapers. And for the kids, he got the comic books. It's easier for you as a kid back then when you're sitting on the stool about to get your hair cut, when you're looking down and just reading a comic book while he walks around, trims your, you know, Trims over your ears, your back, your side, you know, gives you the haircut. So I was, I was enamored by the comic book that he had in the pile. And it was Fantastic Four 147, Fantastic Four 147. One of my favorite issues ever. And not just because of nostalgia. You guys, again, we've covered this. No, sometimes you just love something because it's cool and it hits you in the face with how cool it was. And the cool never left. The cool still carries with you to, to this day. The cover of Fantastic Four 147 finds the thing perched on what is a section of rock that is emerging from the ocean. He is out in the middle of the sea. The human torch is flying overhead, but exploding out of the water, flying right at him, is Prince Namor the Submariner. He's threatening him, and he's, uh, you know, uh, 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 making a bold statement as it looks like he is charging the thing. And it is one of my favorite outfits that they were able to give Prince Namor in the John Romita senior redesign when they um, were looking to spice up sales and do a redesign. He did a full body blue uh, kind of scale uh, costume away from just the green, what what I'll call the green booty trunks with the gold trim. Uh, They gave him this cool and everybody from the Bronze Age, the Yacht Rock Age of comics, that's what I call it increasingly now, the Yacht Rock, because the music of the time, Fleetwood Mac, Eagles, Steely Dan, okay, Earth, Wind, and Fire, all that stuff, is indicative of the same time that we are liking and meeting the giant size X-Men and, and, and you know, Wolverine and, and, and Luke Cage Power Man and all these new acts and new, um, new, new characters are forming and launching and finding success. And it's the same time that, you know, um, Pablo Cruz is, is releasing his singles and America, you know, and all of the cool yacht rock bands, yacht rock music and bronze age comics 
are the exact same thing. I've covered this many, many, many times. They are the exact same thing. But this particular comic, 1972, maybe straddling 1973, Namor 147, I was so taken. I was so absolutely taken by the visual representation of Prince Namor and the fact that he was charging at the the thing and and it was in the like you know it, you just look from you look from the cover you can see how overmatched it appears um that the thing is and 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 uh and and the the torch in the air is also panicked because they know like you know the full the full brunt of Namor is going to fell all of them well sure enough you know of course Namor does get in a huge entanglement with with, with 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 these two and immediately becomes one of, if not my absolute favorite characters of all space and time. I've shared with you guys some of my favorite characters of that time, Luke Cage, Power Man. Because of Marvel Comics, I was exposed to the Bronx. I, I walked the streets of Harlem with these characters outside of my little hovel in Orange County, my little Anaheim house. And, of course, I was able to go to the depths of Atlantis with Mr. Hot-Headed, Prince Namor and the other hothead that I really favored was Hercules, who was always pissing off Odin and always going against his own dad, Zeus, and getting into fisticuffs with um, Thor. He loved to trash Thor, to battle Thor. Hercules, Namor, and Luke Cage Power Man all were united by one thing. They had hot freaking tempers. They weren't even keeled like Captain America or Iron Man or Spider-Man or Daredevil. They were the hot-tempered, the hotheads of the Marvel Universe. They each had a very cool and unique look to each of them and I love them all I battled I, I bought every possible comic that all of these characters were in I was obsessed I loved the lesser known characters I, I preferred them to the Spider-Man the Iron Man and the Captain America of the time I bought those as well but I was much more intrigued by what I would call the complementary characters they were more interesting to me they were they were infinitely more interesting the cover to 147 has Namor, drawn by Rich Buckler, inked by Joe Sinnott of, of, of the amazing Jack Kirby run. And it's got an inset panel, an inset floating panel of Sue reacting to all this as if she's aghast. The only person missing from the cover is Reed Richards. Namor is flying right out of the ocean, flying right into the thing who's in his battle pose, you know, and it says, Sue Richard is mine till the day I die. And Thing says... Mr. You just said the magic words. And an arrow is pointing in between the thing and Namor. And it says, this is the big one. The thing battles a fighting mad submariner. And it is winner take all. And Human Torch is in the air struggling with a steel net that is constricting him. Clearly thrown by Prince Namor. I have read this comic 50 times. It's on my spinner rack. It's my favorite issue of the Fantasy Four. It's my first comic book. I love Prince Namor. He tears through the thing. He tears through Johnny. They're terrified of him. They go back. They retreat. They get Reed Richards. They get Medusa because Medusa was in for Sue Richards, who was taking some leave time in her postpartum depression after having Franklin Richards. And they descend further into Atlantis to all of them battle Prince Namor. So now Reed's involved. Medusa's involved. Johnny Storm thing. And... Namor beats them all back. He thrashes all of them. His power, his fury, his strength. As a kid, once again, just like when, uh, you know, the, the, the Boba Fett walk comes in and kind of commandeers the room and takes everybody down. The cool thing is when the new character comes in and takes everybody down. 
this is something that I adhered to when when Deadpool was in New Mutants 98. Cable had spent a year training those kids, and Deadpool took them all down. The Fantastic Four arrives in Atlantis to confront Prince Namor, and he takes them all down. He just throttles them. He tosses them around, and then at the end, Sue emerges, and she says, I am in love with Namor, and I never want to see you again. And, and, and Namor's like, you know, have you heard enough? And then the very next issue is the Fantastic Four, because I, I was able to now buy Fantastic Four comics from the spinner rack based on this Fantastic Four 147 that Fred was fine with me trading him two to three Casper and Archie comics for this Fantastic Four because he knew how much I loved it. He knew how much I was obsessed with it and how it represented my gateway, my gateway drug to Marvel Comics. But this undersea character was not the first undersea character that I encountered. I was watching Super Friends. I was watching um, prior to Super Friends. There was the Superman, Batman, Aquaman hour that had been a late, um, a, a 60s cartoon. And it had um, backups. Aquaman was always kind of the secondary feature, uh, bouncing between Superman and Batman. And this was on after after school, Monday through Friday, on the affiliate station out here. And it was, in case you've ever seen it, uh, Aquaman and Aquaboy, Aqualad, are riding giant, you know, um, seahorses. And they have their tridents. And, and, and he would, you know, swim super fast with the with the seahorses and they'd throw their tridents and they'd battle you know undersea nemesis and aquaman quite frequently would jump off his seahorse and he would do this thing where he would wind up under underwater he'd be swimming like from right right to left or left to right and he'd wind up his hand and he'd create a ball of water and he'd throw it and he'd throw it and he'd throw it and the and the water the hurling of the water balls would impact whoever, whatever his target was, and it would be like thump, thump, thump. And the whole idea was the velocity of these hurling water balls or spheres was knocking people back, or it had tremendous force given the strength that Aquaman was sending them. Now, Aquaman, Arthur Curry, blonde-haired, looked like a you know, blonde-haired supermodel, great physique, the the bright orange shirt with scales, the green gloves, the green you know, spandex from waist to toe. And again, he had his telepathy where he would communicate with the fishes, with all the sea creatures, and he had clearly super strength because he could survive under all those crushing depths of water, swim super fast, throw his, hurl his, you know, water spheres, water balls, and he had his protege in, 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 in young Aqualad. Now, I had seen those cartoons. He was actually better known to me. The thing that really jumped out about Submariner Prince Namor was his defiance. And this is what I want to touch on. But again, going back to the fact that he was the original. He was the first. He is one of the original comic book characters, period. That's what you get when you, uh, when you, you know, when you debut in 1939, as Prince Namor did. Again, several years prior to Arthur Curry and Aquaman. So many people are always, and I've seen it on social media this last week, they're like, well, all Marvel does is steal from, you know, Marvel steals from DC to create their own characters, and they'll list you several, and they're all kind of sort of reaching, and and yes, you know, I guess Plastic Man, Elongated Lad, semi, you know, uh, predate Mr. Fantastic, but again, it's like it's like someone asked me at my panel at San Diego this year, and, and, and the truth of the matter is, look how many super Superman archetypes there are. Okay, I mentioned in my very first podcast, the very first episode of this show that I've ever done, that the first comic that I then was really blown away with outside of this trade with Fantastic Four, 
and it's a couple years later, but it's my favorite issue of the Avengers because it's so big and it has so many characters in it. And it's Avengers 141 or the Squadron Supreme. This iteration of Squadron Supreme because they, they introduce Captain Hawk and Tom Thumb and they are expanding beyond just the Wizard and Dr. Sp- Doc Spectrum and, and uh, Golden Archer who had already been in the pages of Captain America but but again they were expanding rapidly and really making no bones in me as a kid going this is this is the Justice League this is a very skewed version of Marvel's Justice League Hyperion of the red hair the Lone Ranger you know black eye mask the red and gold you know costume buccaneer boots half cape uh, like a, a, a nuclear kind of uh, atomic logo on his chest. Like Hyperion just didn't scream Superman, but I understood that he had all Superman's powers and he was absolutely the stand-in for the Superman on this Justice League team. Squadron Supreme, um, Nighthawk was Batman. Doc Spectrum was, uh, Dr. Spectrum was Green Lantern with his gems achieving the same thing that Green Lantern did with his rings. You had the Wizard who was the Flash. Uh, and again, as they added Golden Archer, who is Green Arrow, uh, you know, Tom Thumb was Adam in this Squadron Supreme number 141. You've got uh, Captain Hawk. It's actually C-A-P, apostrophe, and Captain, Captain Hawk looked like a badass version of Hawkman. So, so again, I'm looking at this and, and you know, whether it's Hyperion, whether it's my own Supreme, whether it's Homelander from The Boys, whether it's Omni-Man from uh, Invincible. I mean, and I'm leaving out 10 others. There's all manner of Superman archetypes. There's Archer archetypes. There's Caped Crusader kind of Dark Knight detective archetypes. And you go, well, it's, it's, it's influenced by Batman. No, Batman was also influenced by something else. And again, do not discount ever the effect of the Golden Age superheroes on the Silver Age superheroes. And most definitely, Prince Namor, Submariner, straddles the two. Again, he was published for the first time in 1939. Um, He was one of the very first comic book characters from Timely Comics. He, again, outdates Aquaman, along with Captain America and the Human Torch. He was Timely's kind of uh, entrance into the superhero derby. And so, uh, Bill Everett, Super ridiculous. One of those golden age guys that is radically talented, radically beautiful, just beautiful art and beautiful inking, beautiful brushwork, immaculate line work. His brushwork, uh, I mean, his inking, his 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 drawing skills, his ability are just fantastic. Uh, he 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 had really done something special here with um with Prince Namor. And there he is, and, 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 and Namor would go on to continue to appear in Marvel Mystery Comics. Uh, as I'm looking for, from, for some covers, I'm looking at some covers from that period. <clears throat> he officially, Namor, appeared in Motion Picture Funnies Weekly. And eventually, uh, you know, he did, the, he, did the, he, did the, he did the rounds. He did the Marvel Comics comics. Marvel Comics number one, and the first comic book by Funnies. Um, again, he was a a featured player in the Timely Comics universe. Well, uh, Namor, starring in the Golden Age comic book Submariner, published quarterly and then thrice a year, finally bi-monthly, from issues 1 to 32, which fell from fall 1941 to June 1949. 
you know, so he had a very lucrative publishing career during that time. Now, again, you go to Aquaman himself, and Aquaman, uh, you know, was, is a character that most people mistake given that his affiliation with the Justice League and that 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 multi-year almost decade run of Super Friends on Saturday morning on ABC television and being such a uh, key part of that show beyond again that brought him greater pop culture acclaim than the uh Superman Batman you know shared slot where Aquaman was always a like a little 4 minute interlude but again it was so powerful they had to tell them so sto- the, 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 those stories so quickly because they were allotted a very little time, was, again, him on the seahorse, him with his trident. There was repeated views, left, right, right, left. they just flip it. They would just flip the sill, flip the motion, but it would be like him dramatically coming from way back and then right towards camera, you know, and then zooming past with his seahorse and Aqualad on his smaller seahorse, his smaller sea steed. And, uh, and, 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 you know, so Aquaman was definitely, I think, part of the consciousness and has been bigger in the consciousness then Namor has been there is no denying that but the bottom line is uh 19 end of end of 1941 is when Aquaman you know makes his appearance in these a DC anth- anthology title he then went on to have volumes of his own book he joined and was a founding member a member of the Justice League but he in no way shape or form predates and influenced Namor. And again, you could see from Namor's earliest appearances, the pointed ears, the very kind of Spock before Spock haircut, because again, Namor predates Leonard Nimoy as Spock by, I mean, is it is it is it over two decades? It is. And, uh, you know, there was a sinister, the high-arched eyebrows. The first time, again, that I encountered Namor, I needed more of him. And here's where the fun stuff comes in is that Namor goes on to star and be featured in so many important comics, series, and storylines from, you know, the middle 80s to the middle 80s, I mean, from mid-70s to the middle 80s. Now, again, Arthur Curry as Aquaman gets a much higher profile because of his exposure in cartoons and with those great super friends. So he is, uh, he is much more notable. In, in the public's mind, except that uh, aside from starring in, in many different kind of having fits and starts himself in 1961, Aquaman had a four-issue run in the DC Comics anthology showcase. But, uh, you know, I was obsessed. Look, I have Batman original art. I have a little Prince Namor original art. I'd like more of both. I have a great Aquaman cover that I just absolutely adore. Um, and it's it's from the Jim Perro, Jim Apparel run that I fell in love with the book the book from like 1976 to 1979. And uh, but but as much as I loved Aquaman, and as much as I loved Namor, it was really this default of I loved underwater characters. I loved the idea of living under the ocean and the sea creatures. And I've been always so fascinated by what is at the bottom of the ocean. What have we? disturbed that we haven't fully laid ours laid our eyes on yet i mean i think i think the underwater undersea experience is just so riveting for me and it has been my entire life carrying through to me now in my ripe old age of mid 50s i have always i mean man if we went over to somebody's swimming pool and we had a couple of them 
I dive in and my mind would immediately take me away. I'm the ruler of Atlantis. Now, at that time, Namor is the ruler of Atlantis, just as Arthur Curry is the, ru- is the ruler of Atlantis for DC Comics. Most people, again, somebody brought up to me that, no, 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 you don't understand, Rob. You're wrong. Aquaman predates Namor. And this is the thing where, man, a simple Google search will solve that you know, bit of misinformation for you in no time. Aquaman was, I would say, portrayed very straight-laced. The period in 1977-78 where they had Black Manta murder, straight-up murder his son, throw a trident through his, you know, kind of kind of hover air bubble while he um, forces, Black Manta forces Aqualad and Aquaman into a battle of death. I mean, it ends dark. Mira is shattered. She leaves Arthur Curry. She leaves Aquaman. She can't, you know, be with him. She blames him for the death of their precious son. As a kid, I'm like, I'm reading this? This is heavy. This is super heavy. In 1977, at the time of me reading this, in the summer of 1977, I am nine years old. But I am so digging this. And, and I actually read that issue on the beach of Santa, of, 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 uh, of Huntington Beach, uh, having purchased it at the last... 7-Eleven on on uh, on Beach Boulevard before you hit Huntington Beach, and I was just so taken and, and I was so inspired. I ran into the ocean. I swam as fast as I could. I really liked the ocean. Was a kid when I was a kid. I loved swimming in the waters. It was so freeing. But I would just close my eyes, and as I'm looking at the vastness of the ocean and the sky, um, even from just you know 100 yards into the water, I just my mind took me somewhere else. I was Namor. I was Aquaman. I love these characters. But there is no disputing factually that, that, that Namor came first and possibly did throw some in influence on, uh, on Aquaman due to the fact that he really kind of beat him to this, to this space. Now, here's where things are, are interesting. In, um, when, 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 Fantastic, when the Fantastic Four, in number four, issue four, rediscover and bring... Prince Namor the Submariner into the modern times. He has not shaven. He has not cut his hair. He has a he has stubble. He has a beard. He has long black hair. This is the first appearance where the clean cut, um, very kind of almost almost a bowl cut with 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 a pair of widow peaks. You know that that's really what the Namor's hair looked like. This this kind of bowl cut with. With, with some high widow peaks. I mean, it was very trim and, and almost sinister haircut, but he's got his pointy ears, ears. He's got his, he's got his arched eyebrows and he's shirtless and he is the self, you know, self-proclaimed king of the Atl- of, of Atlantis and he wants to protect his kingdom. And what happens, uh, you know, Again, he's always been a little sa- more savage, a lo- always been a little more sinister, definitely has the hotter temper, definitely more prone to bits and fits of rage, but always regal, always demanding respect. That's the one thing I really liked about Namor. But I do not think for one minute you can deny his influence on Aquaman and what they did and giving Aquaman an undersea kingdom of his own. But, uh, you know, so, so often they believe... They, being DC fans, want to uh, really kind of pivot towards the fact that, uh, you know, that he, uh, 
DC creates the characters in Marvel, you know, is influenced by them. Except, again, look at look at all the influence Captain America has wielded, and he also was a byproduct of the timely publishing family, which again brought us Submariner, Human Torch, and Prince Namor. And again, in the 70s, what I'm going to tell you, n- not only was he in these gripping multi-part stories, they, 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 they wouldn't resolve, get back into this story until 159, I mean 149. You had to wait an issue while the shattered, emotionally destroyed Fantastic Four battle against the Frightful Four. And again, you've got the backdrop of Sue and Namor starting their lives together in Atlantis. And in issue 149, Namor just attacks. He has Sue by his side. It's um, it's a very, as, as a fan, being new to both, I just knew that like the way Reed was stubbled out, the way he was characterized in the books, he was clearly shocked, hurt, shattered by the abandonment uh, of his family by Sue Richard, Sue Storm, who left the kid behind to go basically frolic on the high seven seas with Prince Namor, who has always, always fancied her. But again, going back to his visual, when he first appeared in the Fantastic Four, he's got the beard, the longer hair. It's not until Human Torch gives him a little bit of a shave via his heat and burns and scales back his hair that they can see his visage. And, and he still isn't shocked. He still isn't moved, but it is the... Uh, it it is it is it, it it eventually jars him to recognition and he you know lashes out when he realizes there's a situation that he doesn't like and threatens all mankind because he thinks that the reactor that went off is responsible for destroying all of his people. But again, this is just setting up further storylines. But Namor is absolutely a cool looking character and is a hothead and is ridiculously popular at Marvel Comics at this time because not only is he appearing in issues like the Fantastic Four, he is headlining. He is a headliner in a book called The Defenders. He is a headliner along with Doctor Strange, Prince Namor, and the Hulk. The original lineup was just Doctor Strange, Hulk, and Prince Namor, but in an effort to juice things up, the publishers were asking who else we could include. Uh, people brought brought up, you know, the Silver Surfer, and the next thing you know, the Silver Surfer is in the Defenders alongside Doctor Strange and the Hulk. And 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 so the Defenders is a place that you can find Prince Namor, the Submariner, every single month, month in, month out. And he is so important in his depiction on covers. He is so powerful, powerfully um depicted uh uh you know as a founding member of the Defenders. And again, you know, by the time I'm paying attention to the Defenders, it is expanded to Doctor Strange, not just Doctor Strange, Submariner, and the Hulk, but you've got Silver Surfer, and you've also added Valkyrie. But Namor is a constant. Namor is in and out of that book constantly. He only takes a few episodes off, issues off, if ever, but he is a constant for the Defenders, which is a really nice-selling book for Marvel at the time because they're trying to replicate the success of the Avengers. And so, you know, again, in, 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 in the Defenders, he is semi-portrayed as a good guy, but he's always conflicted. His hot temper is still there. He is always screaming at the Hulk to the point where Hulk is probably going to cry and then smash him. He exchanges intelligent kind of opinions and wisdom with Doctor Strange. You always got that from an issue, but he will fly off in his powerful, fueled, rage-fueled, 
temper tantrums against not only his own teammates, but obviously the different nemesis they battle. So Namor is a marquee guy having, um, you know, his own series wind down a series that launched magnificently with John Buscema at the helm, uh, Stan Lee drawing, writing the stories, John Buscema, arguably the single best artist at the time in comics. Neil hadn't, you know, completely come in and stole the thunder, but John Buscema just drew the most beautiful Submariner comics. I bought as many of them as I possibly could. And again, it was the, uh, it was the absolute, um, you know, it was the, it was the, (laughs) it was the absolute. Still working. uh, We, we are getting, um, some, some funny, uh, interacts with my computer uh, in case you haven't, you know, picked up. This is the culmination of a seriously, seriously long day. And uh, one of my friends says, Rob, sometimes I think you're like, are you high when you're doing these podcasts? I'm going to tell you right now. No, many of these podcasts I am having to do late at night. And as a result of recording them late at night, um, sometimes, and here's the big secret, I am just trying to get through this. In, in a day like today, which finds us returning home, uh, me having to draw a page, uh, unpacking, um, doing some live broadcasts, uh, uh, just just basic decompression, getting back from a comic show, and then finding myself just itching to get this information, not only about Comic-Con and Hall H to you, but, but this amazing what we call the Marvel versus DC. And again, how Namor is so out in front here because in the, again, back in the seventies, he is dominating the landscape by appearing. I'm about to tell you this. Not, not only did, so his, his own series beautifully drawn by John Buscema, beautifully written by Stan Lee, but it's not connecting. And they've made this attempt to, to, to jump the sales in the late sixties, early seventies with this new costume that I'm telling you, I dig, which is a blue all scale costume, but it has an open chest. It's, it's, it's really, it's an eye catcher. And, uh, you know, but the, the open chest is so, you know it, I know it, I'm going to say it. It's so macho. It's so damn macho. But Prince Namor is in a featured role in The Defenders now, uh, segueing out of his own book. But, but only one year separates what I'm about to tell you. In 1975, they launch the concept of The Invaders where Marvel, who has always handled the World War II stuff so fantastically, and they have the best ambassador for the fantastic, for, for the fantastic for, for the World War II era of comics in, you know, Cap, Namor, Bucky, Human Torch, and the Human Torch's sidekick, Toro, they kick off a book called The Invaders about the exploits of the timely heroes that I just told you, the characters that launched the timely slash Marvel universe. They, they, they bring together with these amazing covers, whether they're by Jack Kirby or Gil Kane. They promote the coming of the invaders, a dedicated series uh, that will give you the adventures of our World War II, our Marvel World War II heroes as they battle all manner of crazy Nazi bad guys um, and some errant gods. I mean, it is a great comic. I never missed an issue of the invaders. It hit me. Um, the world, as I said, in 1975, 1976 was going through this incredible patriotic swoon because it was, it was called the bicentennial because in fact of the, you know, hundred year, 200 year, you know, I mean the, 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 the marking, you know, 
from 1776 to 1976. It was a big deal. It was the bicentennial and patriotism was on a huge uptick, a huge upswing. And so doing a book like The Invaders was a no-brainer. Here is Marvel's greatest World War II villains in a dedicated story by really great talent like Roy Thomas, um, Frank Springer, uh, uh, depicting the monthly battles uh, that, that the invaders, you know, waged against all sorts of Nazi super agents, Master Man, Warrior Woman, you know, Baron Blood. I mean, the, the series is fantastic, and it it ran nearly five years. And again, who is front and center? Who is on these beautiful covers? Who is always key to every composition? Is Prince Namor. And, and, and so in the Defenders, we're getting the modern-day Prince Namor. In the Invaders, we're getting the World War II, you know, Prince Namor. Now, you know, part of the lore is that much like, you know, you know, some of the greatest characters in both universes, he's a regal monarch ruler. Again, there's a regality to him. And again, in this, in this depiction of him in Wakanda forever, you can tell as he rises out of the ocean as we watch his back emerge and and the time that he descends on this incredible throne with his you know <clears throat> ornate uh you know ceremonial gear i mean namor looks like a badass but he always has that regal kind of semi smug um like how dare you how dare you speak to me i'm the ruler of all atlantis was something that he said again and again and again and again but again we now have him when the film comes around, we has we have him as the ruler of um, uh, this 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 new nation, Talokan, Talokan or Talokan, I think it's Talokan. So it's it's an undersea, you know, civilization much much like the one that you saw depicted in the Aquaman film with Jason Momoa. Now here's the deal: in 1990. 1991, a really fresh-faced artist named Jay Lee burst on the scene. Jay Lee was incredibly influenced by a man named Simon Beasley, a British artist who had been tearing it up, bringing us the monthly adventures uh, in all manner of different, uh, sometimes side-by-side specials and miniseries for a character called Lobo, who is a space bounty hunter for... DC Comics, and he was incredibly popular during this period. He was actually one of their, if not their most popular published character and highest ranking sales character Lobo was. But there was a very distinct way that Simon Beasley would depict Lobo. Very heavy metal, very um, rock rock and roll, rock and roll hair. Now, a lot of people thought that Jason Momoa was better cut out to play Lobo than he was to play Arthur Curry, King, you know, King of Atlantis, Aquaman. But the minute DC went in that in that realm, and obviously it paid off with them for them with Aquaman doing a billion dollars, you know, in Christmas 2018, Momoa actually looks most like Jay Lee's tenure on Namor. Now, Jay Lee's tenure on Namor, he grew out Namor's hair, made it exactly look like the heavy metal kind of sheen of hair that 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 not only Simon Beasley but Lobo himself wore. If you ever saw Simon Beasley, Simon really based his version of Lobo on himself. 
when he, when Lobo was first introduced, Keith Giffen had given him much more tightly constructed hair. And now Simon Beasley gave it this giant heavy metal, you know, uh, you know, I mean, like giant heavy metal rock hair. And uh, Namor, I didn't look like this before, but I hearken back to what I told you earlier the first time that we saw him in the Fantastic Four, and he has the long black hair, he has the beard, he's scruffy, and Human Torch cleans him up. So there's a tether that goes right back here. Well, Jay Lee, obviously huddling with the writer that he was working at the time, who was John Byrne, who was doing the rare comic that he just writes, Jay Lee huddled together with him, and they created this new kind of metal version of Namor. And he's bare-chested, and he's got the giant, jagged, golden gauntlets, but he's got the Jason Momoa hair about 20, 20 some years before Jason Momoa has the Jason Momoa hair. He has that, you know, uh, Metallica looking, I'm a banger. I mean, Namor absolutely looks like he is a banger in these comic books. And Jay Lee's art was very um, somewhat Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh, meets Simon Beasley. It was very rock and roll. It was very punk rock. It was very muscles. It was veins. It was uh, really powerful figures, great close-ups, gritted teeth, crazy psycho, you know, um, temperamental characters. But Jay Lee's Namor, which is published by Marvel for several years, again, that three-year role between Star Wars and Empire, Empire and Return of the Jedi, those three years, they mean a lot. They mean a great deal. By having Namor look like this banger, it really set Namor apart. Because again, if you go back to how Arthur Curry and Aquaman is looking like in the in the in the nineties, he is still the handsome, chiseled, blonde-haired. You know, he looks like a Ken doll. Aquaman looked like Ken doll if he had a bigger, kind of more muscular bodybuilder physique. But that is exactly who Aquaman looked like. He did not look like a man of Samoan you know, heritage, and he did not look like he had that banger banger hairstyle. Now, later in the 90s, a writer named Peter David takes over Aquaman, and they cut off, they, they, they take away his hand and give him a hook. So they're trying to, you know, bring some edge to Aquaman, but Aquaman grows his hair out, but it's still blonde. And one of the reasons I know this is I did a Christmas issue, a special Christmas-themed issue of Superman, upon which Arthur Adams drew a Martian Manhunter Superman story, uh, um, I'm trying to think who who drew the 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 Wonder Woman story. Uh, I drew the Aquaman story, a three page story where Superman visits Aquaman on Christmas in the ocean, and I drew the King Arthur version, the King Arthur version of Aquaman, the Arthur Curry. They had him grow his blonde hair out and uh, give him a hook hand, and sometimes he wore kind of a tiara of a ruler of Atlantis, but um, apparently there was a really powerful group that surrounded this version of Aquaman, but he never at any time had black, jet black banger hair or blacker, blacker hair. If he's like, no, 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 this is dark gray or this is some really, really super, 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 super dark strain of brown. I'm just telling you. Having been in Jason Momoa's presence several times at different, several different signings and on set at different films, it is dark hair. And Jason Momoa, when he was cast, if you go back, people said, oh, he... <clears throat> In this role looks more like how Marvel has depicted Namor for years because that that depiction that, that Jay Lee utilized for Namor went on for almost three years. 
So this is a uh, a big part of when Namor upticked. I myself hired Jay Lee away based on his Namor work. He was so good. He was so amazing. I wanted him to do a Youngblood comic with me. But Namor had become the banger, had become heavy metal. And so then when Aquaman was cast as the cinematic version, you could see where people were like, wait, what? And they put up these Namor covers, of which there is no shortage of, of which there is a dozen plus by Jay Lee depicting the Jason Momoa-looking evolution of Submariner that happened in the very, very early 1990s. When they go, when I say that because DC made Aquaman, Aquaman made a billion, connected with family-friendly audiences all across the world, that now Marvel is like, we don't want to look like we are retreading this and doing Atlantis and doing you know everything that kind of got there before us. Because once you get there and occupy the real estate before the other guy, it's going to be hard to expand. I, I talked about it with Hall H earlier, and, and it's the same here again. Talokan. Talokan. That is the ancient civilization, the in, ancient in, undersea, undersea civilization that Namor dominates. So, again, along the way, in the 70s, going back to the evolution, okay, so we've got in the 90s, Jay Lee depicts this very banger-looking Aquaman. I'm sorry, this very banger-looking Namor that reflects exactly the Jay, Jason Momoa casting. Now, Kevin Feige then sits back and goes, well, here's the one thing they beat us to. And not only that, they were very, very, very successful. Aquaman is one of the most successful DC comic films ever. And I mean ever. It is a huge, raging success across you know, any expectations across all boundaries. Aquaman, the movie, succeeded. It depicted the underwater world of Atlantis in a very rich, uh, textured manner, and it um, it did huge box office, kids, family films. The night that my sons and I cut out to see it in Christmas of 2018, I've talked about this often, we were surrounded by six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, and they freaked, they loved it, they cheered, they screamed, and at that moment you knew this is exactly who this movie is made for. This movie knew exactly who its audience was, and it showed up and it delivered it, so Marvel then has to pivot. Well, we can't have the King of Atlantis. They do. We don't want to create any more, you know, comparisons. We're going to forge our own path, so this is where we get Talokan, and we get this Aztec Mayan influence. And it's cool. I think it's really cool. But again, Aquaman is not yet at any point in time a breakout character for DC Comics. Not in the way that Namor was. Because the 70s, he had he was in Invaders. He was in Defenders. And then, shock oh shocks, they launch a new series called Marvel Super Villain Team-Up. Marvel Super Villain Team-Up. I bought every issue. I could not get over how awesome it was. And the first storyline involves my favorite, one of my top 10 Marvel villains, easily my a top five Fantastic Four villain and, and Namor's number one nemesis for me, and that is Atuma, A-T-T-U-M-A, Atuma, a warlord of Atlantis that wants very much to take the throne away from Namor, seize power from the Submariner, is always at odds with him. Um, Atuma is a killer villain killer visual and in the one brief glimpse they give you in that Wakanda Forever trailer you'll see him you'll see him and he's got the headdress he's got the the modified version of the Jack Kirby Atuma headdress and I flipped out and he's blue and he's giant and on stage when he was standing across from Winston Duke you could tell they went shoulder to shoulder head to head Winston Duke is a very large man the actor playing 
a tuma is also a very large man, but a tuma is the subject of the first storyline in Marvel Supervillain Team-Up, which, again, Gil Kane covers, Dave Cockrum covers, Amazing covers, Jim Starlin covers, John Byrne covers. Supervillain Team-Up finds two of the biggest Fantastic Four Marvel fans of all time. You know, your mind is blown in that two of the biggest Marvel villains from the Fantastic Four are paired in Supervillain Team-Up. It's Doctor Doom and Submariner. It's Doctor Doom and Submariner. These two guys are featured in their own book. We as fans came to know them as anti-heroes in Namor State and the greatest villain of all time in, you know, most Marvel fans' minds. And Doctor Doom and Submariner were now sharing the page, sharing a, bill, a bidding super villain team up and the first bad guy was a Tuma and the underwater characters and Doom and Namor have to unite and stop them and along the way Doom and Namor would fight and battle the Shroud a brand new character was a, that, that I wouldn't be surprised would appear anytime soon on a Marvel P Disney Plus show because the Shroud is kind of the right character at the right time but you've got these you know incredible villains coming in and out being introduced but at the helm it's Namor. It's Doctor Strange over in, uh, I'm sorry, Doctor Doom. Doctor Strange is in the Defenders with Namor. Sometimes when you talk as fast as I do, you make the mistakes, you hit the speed bumps. Doctor Strange, Namor, Hulk featured in Defenders. Doctor Doom and Namor featured in Supervillain Team Up. Battling other Fantastic Four villains like Atuma. Eventually battling. You know, Magneto eventually battling the Red Skull. Supervillain team-up was my jam. It did not have the sales to sustain it. It was gone too soon. But it was another showcase. It was another opportunity to look into Submariner's life, to, to, to visit with Prince Namor. And as I've already ex ex explained to you, Prince Namor was one of my all-time favorites. In fact, at that time, he is um, more favored to me by myself. I mean, I, I love Namor. Um, more than I love Hercules, more than I love Luke Cage, Power Man. Wolverine has not yet arrived yet. He will jump Namor so fast, Namor's head will spin. But what can I say? I just had an instant connect with, connection with Wolverine, rounding out the quartet of hothead temperamental heroes. But you got supervillain team-up with Namor. You've got invaders with Namor. You've got defenders with Namor. Marvel will tell you that Namor moved the needle. Namor was a character that at the time wasn't carrying his own book, but was carrying many others. But supervillain team-up got the sales that were lowest uh, than, than invaders and in and the defenders. And possibly somebody may have raised their hand and said, hey, we're overexposing Namor. We're overexposing him. How is it that we pulled his own series from him, but he is in Marvel supervillain team-up month in, month out, in two like giant size Marvel supervillain team up specials annuals to launch it. He's in the invaders. He's the face of the invaders. He's a front man with the invaders alongside with Captain America. And he is a front man in the defenders alongside Dr. Strange Hulk, uh, night, Nighthawk, And, and, the, and those characters. So, 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 so Namor was featured at one time in three different books and his, his, his popularity. I mean, I bought all three of those and I bought them primarily. Actually, I do not believe I would buy it. The defenders on any level, if you know, 
Namor wasn't a part of it. I don't know that I would buy Invaders on any level if Namor wasn't a part of it. So that's Invaders, that's Defenders. I definitely wouldn't buy Marvel Supervillain Team-Up if Namor wasn't a part of it. As much as I like Doctor Doom, as much as I love him, I need Namor. So I'm giving you a lot of Namor, and I've, I've already told you that in 1977, it was the most riveting Aquaman story ever, but at no time did you ever differentiate, did you ever think that they looked alike. At no time did you go, oh, Aquaman and Namor. It was one of the most comfortable, like, these guys exist, they coexist, they're cool. You know, I know that he's the king of Atlantis for Marvel. I know he's the king of Atlantis for DC. And, he, and, he, and you, you really didn't cross streams. It was something that you were comfortable with. You didn't care. But once they cast as a live-action role, Jason Momoa, that really walked close. And, and when I said that as a result of Momoa and the kind of Namor depiction of Aquaman, and it's not just me. Ask anybody who was around at this era. And, and again, I was immediately joined in by several of these people in social media saying, no, Liefeld's right. The Momoa Aquaman actually looks more like the Namor that we've come to know and love. And those Jay Lee issues when he went full punk rock, when he went full banger with his hair. I mean, he looked exactly like a, a comic book version of Namor. When people, when he, when, when, when Momoa first, even several years, five years ago, got asked, got cast as, as Aquaman, people were putting up these Jay Lee covers like, wow, he looks more like this version of Namor. Now, you can say, well, he doesn't look like that anymore. Well, he doesn't look like he traditionally did. Namor is always evolving in his looks. But at the bottom line, the version that they're giving you now is a great pivot. The Aztec, the Mayan stuff, wherever direction that they're headed, it gives it a richer texture, gives it a different feel, and sets it apart from what the public knows, because that's what Feige is concerned with, that the public understand that, look, we're not spoon-feeding the same thing. And maybe, oh, maybe you've heard the same things that we've heard, rumblings of people saying that we are stealing from them when, in fact, we were the first underwater, you know, superstar. And all that's true. So Marvel, I think, just wants to, you know, doesn't need to flex. The flex is how successful Namor will be received. And I believe he will have his same tenets. I believe he is proud. He cares deeply about his nation. He doesn't trust humans. He thinks his waters are being polluted. And in times past, when he gets walked up to this edge, he will go crazy. He will attack. He will go on the attack. He will make accusations. And 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 quite often, he has attacked the surface world with giant whales. He blows that mighty horn, this giant cornucopia. Um, he wears his crown, his cape. Early when I was doing comic books, there was also a reprint series called Marvel's Greatest Comics. Just like Spider-Man was in Marvel Tales. Um, the Avengers was in Mar was in Marvel Triple Action. Marvel was dedicated to giving you the older adventures of these characters. They wanted to catch you up and, and and expand their reach and expand their grasp. And I loved it. I would simultaneously be learning about comics that happened seven years before I started collecting many adventures before I was even alive. And one of the first ones that Marvel Marvel's greatest comics featured was a early. John Romita senior effort after he replaced Jack Kirby after Jack Kirby left Fantastic Four. They had a Prince Namor versus the Fantastic Four storyline. It is beautifully illustrated by John Romita senior, and uh, and again it's just like wow I'm get, I'm getting Namor everywhere. Strong Fantastic Four vibes. I mean Sue Storm has run off with him and proclaimed her love for him and she's going to marry him. You got to read that story to find out how crazy and wacky it is and how it ends the way it does. But Namor is a giant player in the Marvel field and he always has been. 
And during this exact same time that I am telling you he is in Supervillain Team Up, he is in the Invaders, and he is in the Defenders, Namor is in, is part of one of my absolute most favorite storylines ever in the Avengers. It's Avengers 154, Avengers 155, Avengers 156. It ties in directly with Marvel Supervillain Team Up, which I thought was brilliant as a kid. I'm like, this is fantastic. They're tying this all together. It, it had to do with the Super Crown. It had to do with Doctor Doom. It had to do with, wait for it, Atuma. It had to do with some of his lieutenants. Um, I mean, I, I, a character named Tyrak, who is a giant, super strong, like the Samson or the, the Goliath of the, of, of the Atlantean people. And there's a misunderstanding, as there's always a misunderstanding. And in issue 155, it is one of everyone my age's favorite depiction of Namor as he uh, attacks an oil rig and uh, Beast Wonder Man and uh, a character called the Wizard, another 1942, 1942's holdover, except now you're you're meeting the Wizard as an old man in 1977 as he's putting on civilian clothes or trying to, but in, in this instance, he actually has his wizard, his wizard, W-H-I-Z-Z-E-R, wizard, because he's the Flash, costume on, and he looks, and, and it's supposed to look uncomfortable, and it's supposed to look awkward, but that is the linchpin of a giant showdown where Namor takes on characters like Wonder Man who have Superman-level strength, and uh, again, that entire storyline, part of the huge Namor binge of, you know, 1977 and I can see it now I can see it happening again and so I dig what they're doing with Namor I dig that he's coming in I dig that he's going to go up against Wakanda obviously there's going to be some terrible misunderstanding I don't know if it's going to have been manipulated you can clearly see like a military uh, 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 faction trying to take out or or, or commandeer an underwater undersea facility so so maybe there's someone there's someone who's pulling the strings and manifesting and uh uh a, a a a conflict between the Wakandans and 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 uh, Namor's new kingdom, which once again we're all going to say together, um, it is Talokan, and 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 that's cool. Like I I don't care. I don't care. I don't care about the Atlantis. Take it away. That's fine. You know Arthur Curry cinematically got there first, even though Namor existed prior. And again, but but people are recency bias. They think that they they've seen the Momoa. Aquaman, they know that it made a billion dollars. They saw the Super Friends cartoons. They know that that, that that Aquaman had a leg up in terms of being exposed. I mean, 20 years ago, Aquaman was the funny storyline on Entourage. You know, Vinny Chase was going to be Aquaman in James Cameron's Aquaman. And then there's the funny part of that. James Cameron actually did do a movie with underwater aquatic-themed characters. And the sequels with Avatar are more underwater and aquatic than ever before. So... James Cameron's Aquaman, which Vinny Chase, the character of in, in the lead, you know, actor in the Mark Wahlberg produced Entourage, it, it's it's pretty ironic that Cameron wouldn't make Aquaman, but he would make he would make an aquatic, you know, feature and multiple sequels. And so this is just you know again drawing more and more parallels about the destinies of these two characters, Arthur Curry and Prince Namor. And and how they would um, they have been on a on a collision course, and now cinematically, I really do believe Marvel has pivoted because the Black Panther sequel is going to be gigantic. 
There's tremendous interest in this follow-up. There's tremendous an emotional connection that fans have because they also want to go and sit and be able to say goodbye to Chadwick. But at the same time, you're going to be introduced to one of the most important characters in comics, one of my favorite characters of all time, a character that absolutely ruled during the 70s. Uh, Again, Namor even finds his way as the 70s become the 80s into a chief player in a book written and illustrated by John Byrne called Alpha Flight. And then, irony of all ironies, to kick off the 90s, the early 90s, John Byrne would completely, you know, take over the character and be the writer-artist on a relaunch of Namor, just called Namor number one. This is the book that he eventually leaves uh, and Jay Lee steps in and creates, you know, the banger Namor that looks more like Momoa and by virtue of Momoa appearing as Aquaman in that manner. And now here, here's the stop. When the people go... He looks like Aquaman to me. Aquaman's always looked like that. No, he has not. In the DC 52 in 2011, when the Justice League launched again, Jim Lee at the helm drawing Justice League and Jeff Johns featuring and focusing and heavily, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, giving Arthur Curry and Aquaman some really big set pieces in that early DC 52 Justice League. Aquaman has short blonde hair again. The King Arthur do the same kind of long-haired King Arthurian look with a crown that I depicted him in when I drew him in my Superman Christmas issue. It was not black hair. I know what Arthurian looks like. I know what King Arthur imagery exists as. And banger, you know, Metallica hair is not the same. But DC fans want to say, no, it's the same. No, it's not. And and what our, what 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 Peter David did in kind of radicalizing Aquaman in the late '90s is again almost an entire decade, nine plus years past. John Byrne and and Jay Lee giving you the banger Metallica version, the long hair down to the middle of his waist, you know, Aquaman that reflects more of a Jason Momoa dyna- dynamic. So, haven't seen Wakanda forever. Gonna be a while. Can tell you that I'm totally on board. Primarily because of Namor, primarily because of Atuma. I've given you all of this uh, supervillain team up, Avengers 154, 155, 156, including Doctor Doom, including Atuma. There is a whopping showdown in, 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 in issue 155 that I've mentioned here before between Namor and, uh, and the Avengers. And again, as in 1978, Namor appears in a kick ass issue of the Fantastic Four. I mean, he was one of Marvel's MVPs. They clearly had data that said, if you have Prince Namor, you have Submariner in your comic, people are eyeballs are going to be there. Fans like him, fans pick him up. I did. I didn't normally buy all of these comics, but boom, suddenly I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Marvel supervillain team guy. Boom, I'm a Defenders guy because they've upped his profile. Boom, I'm an Invaders guy because they made this comic and it's, you know, Prince Namor, is, is front and center every issue representing the, the the strongman motif that I said is so important to all of the publishers during this time, whether it is The Thing or Hulk or, of course, Prince Namor, if he's appearing in your book, the, the cover of The Invaders, the cover of Super Villain Team Up, the classic strongman never lost his appeal, and that's what Namor always brought to the table. Arthur Curry, on the other hand, outside of the brief dalliance uh, of, of, of kind of being this crazed guy with a hook hand 
the, you know, and I understand they're trying to make him more piratey. They're trying to make him more like, you know, Long John Silver back when Peter David kind of really, um, you know, commandeered the direction of Aquaman. And again, that is in the shadow of what was accomplished with Jay Lee's Namor. Okay, so so you got Aquaman, you got Namor, you got these competing factions, but Namor came first. Namor is an extremely bigger. I, I'll I'll say I believe Namor Submariner is a more important character in the grand scheme of things with more impact than in Marvel than um, you know anyone any one storyline going on with Aquaman at this time or in the history. Aquaman is a great complementary figure. I am a huge fan. I love Aquaman. Would I do a year's worth of Aquaman stories? I would in a heartbeat. Would I do a year's worth of Namor stories? I would in a heartbeat. I drew Namor as a part of Onslaught Reborn. It was a blast. It was exceptional to be able to draw him. I gave him that exact same blue, open-chested, you know, with with semi kind of wings under the uh, under the wingspan to glide better. I drew that Namor. I drew that Namor in Onslaught Reborn, the sequel to Heroes Reborn. It came out in 2006. It's been collected in hardcover. I am so pleased that I was able to draw Namor, Prince Number, Prince Namor, Submariner. I was excited. I wasn't intimidated. Again, my only stint with Superman also featured my only stint with Aquaman. Otherwise, I haven't really interacted with those characters. I love them both. I love them both, but Namor came first, but as a result of Momoa's movie being released first, the shift happened, and I dig it. I cannot wait to see Namor as he is depicted. There's a shot in the trailer of all these Atlanteans. It's clear that they are using the whales as a stealth kind of, uh, uh, as a stealth delivery object that's going to take them to where they need to be unseen, you know, swimming either far under or far above so as to not be detected. But it's, it's, um, it's, it's eerie. And the depiction of Namor is fantastic. Just what little I've seen. Just the still photography. Just the moving pictures. The ascension. The dropping down onto the throne. The giant, you know, ceremonial garb, helmet. I'm all for it. But again, in, in, in Marvel DC, Marvel absolutely takes this round. I believe Namor, upon being introduced in Wakanda Forever, is going to have an incredibly increased profile. And it's not like his profile has ever been low, but Namor definitely has higher peaks and 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 less steep valleys than than mo most characters do. Again, just by virtue of the titles he's impacted. Going back to the 70s, his own series, supervillain team up, invaders, defenders, the guy got around. Great guest star, very popular, um, really renowned. And Bill Everett just knew what he was doing when he created this very interesting, very interesting uh, character. And it feels like that Wakanda Forever is going to really establish like how formidable they are. And you do not want to piss his nation off and have them summon, you know, their full strength. Now, obviously, there's going to be a side storyline, I believe, with Atuma trying to, again, just as in the comics, take power away, you know, um, if I said, yeah, it's Atuma. Atuma is going to be undercutting, I believe, Namor's decision-making, portraying him out to be soft as a result of how the humans are pushing them around or how the Wakandans are taking territory, whatever. Atuma is going to be there undermining Prince Namor. 
they will absolutely be pitted against each other. Um, in this Marvel DC series, we are going to give as close a look as we possibly can to the similarities, the differences. Again, the differences that I see. Ten years ago, Aquaman still looked like that blonde Barbie doll. For a brief period, he had a King Arthur look. Long blonde hair. Tiara. Still the orange armor. Still the green, you know, pants. But it wasn't until Momoa came in and they shifted it. And 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 and, and again, they had to they had to reflect it. He was a huge presence on Game of Thrones. He had appeared in a new solo Conan movie. He was commandeering his own, uh, you know, spotlight. So they moved on him. It gave them diversity. And it gave him huge charisma. Momoa, Momoa is nothing but charismatic. And i got to be honest, I really enjoy him in every single iteration of Aquaman. And I really like him in the nearly eight-hour Snyder Cut. Uh, you know, the brilliance of Zack Snyder's Snyder Cut. So you guys, Aquaman followed Namor. It's not the other way around. And up until the very recently, he was still the blonde-haired, you know, blue-eyed, Kendall. Namor was the wild, scary one. I, re I read somewhere saying, well, I'm really glad that they gave Namor the pointy ears uh, it, while they, you know, shied away from those same pointy ears on Black Adam, who has always had Black Adam. I feel like had, had Dwayne The Rock Johnson not jumped into being Black Adam as he did back in like 2006 because he's been stalking Black Adam for a long time, basically by virtue of the fact that he looks just like him. And that is a huge appeal, and 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 he used it as his motivation to frame and and get this movie up and running. But I feel like in another world, Black Adam. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just called Dwayne Johnson Black Adam. I feel like Dwayne Johnson would be the perfect, the perfect Namor. But we've got our new guy, and he's coming in Wakanda forever, and he's commandeering a nation. And it looks like he's pissed, and it looks like he has the means to settle whatever score needs to be settled. And I, and that is the true kind of stubborn, proud, um, you know, presence that that Namor has always existed with in the comic books. Meantime, again, Arthur Curry has had, has always struggled to to hold a whole lot of uh, interest. And I don't believe, honestly, in that case, it's because Namor came first. I believe it's because Aquaman was not terribly well served. The best run that he ever had was that 70s period because, again, you don't kill Arthur Curry's kid, Aquaman's kid, and, and have Mira have a nervous breakdown without wanting to hunt down Black, Wood, Black Manta, bring him to justice, and kill him. And that is the serious subject matter that was contained in those excellent 1977 Aquaman issues. So, you guys, I loved dissecting this. I loved that the trailer opened this up. I loved that social media was um, somewhat stubborn, somewhat con confused, and somewhat refused in order to react to the real time. Not everything DC did beat Marvel to the punch. This today was a decisive victory in regards to the first publication of the aquatic character and this style of aquatic character, this King of Atlantis, goes to Marvel and Prince Namor. And now in an effort to differentiate themselves and not reflect what Momoa and his franchise is doing, which again, obviously very successful, um, connected huge with fans. You had to pivot. They pivoted. Marvel pivoted. And I think we're getting a better, maybe more interesting Namor as a result. And that's where I stand. And it, it, it it's going to be fun as that movie begins to give us more and roll out 
And that concludes today's Marvel versus DC. It's not necessarily a showdown. It's, it's more of a download of ideas. Certainly, Aquaman has had high profiles. The Super Friends, Justice League, um, being included and out front in the DC, the DC, you know, 52. But again, his hair is fairly trim. It's blonde. It's nowhere near the banger Jay Lee Namor hair that is suitably, I mean, literally, I haven't seen one person who doesn't look at the Jay Lee Namor and immediately get it, see it, and identify it as Momoa, an influence on the Momoa depiction of Aquaman. Anyway, enough has been said. We went down that um, rabbit hole. Marvel versus DC is a series we're going to do that examines some of the more familiar characters, some of the more familiar, uh, you know, ways that that their characters um, reflect each other. You guys, it is so great to share this time with you, to reflect on it with you guys, to talk to you about um, all of the different exciting things that are going on in comics. Um, it is always exciting when I when I hit a switch and my computer starts talking back to me and it makes things awkward because it wouldn't be Rob's observations if something wasn't going a little cray-cray, okay? Um, look, the uh, the really fun stuff is when you guys write me all of the super nice, um, when you write me all the super nice reviews and you leave them on Apple or Spotify or, or one of the iHeartRadios or you just leave them on my website. I read them to you at the end of every episode. Like I'm about to read this one to you now. Um, these reviews I, I read at the end, they're so important in separating us and putting us on a different level on um, giving us a, a greater platform. We are currently um, the number five podcast um, in, 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 in kind of, you know, our, our category. We are rocketing the viewership, the, 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 the whatever, the listenership is, is growing. The word of mouth is happening. I appreciate it so, so very much, more than you'll ever know. I was able to um, uh, meet with so many of you at San Diego at the Rob Observations panel. We gave everybody a free comic book for attending. We were so thrilled that you guys were able to attend. Uh, we we did attempt to record that that panel. I'm hoping to bring it to you live. I hope the file um, works out that it wasn't corrupt or corrupted in post when someone who didn't um, wasn't paying attention may have taped over it. But we are going to hope to salvage that live show. And if not, we will continue to um, break enough eggs until we have made a glorious omelet. But back to your reviews and meeting you and, and, and the ways you guys are helping put this show on the map. I am going to read this from ARP151. ARP, A-R-P, 151. It was left just recently. It's called Rub the Blood. Five stars says, thank you so much for the gimme, gimme, gimme gimmick. This episode had so much meat and memories. I loved recounting the covers that I couldn't believe were, were being printed, holding them in my hands as a kid and wondering what was a die cut, what was a hollow foil. My experience was your experience all the way up to Rub the Blood, which was always will always live in infamy with me and my peer group. The ending sequence was so poignant in connecting the movie tickets and the sports giveaways. Your insights are always so spot on and always so much fun to listen to. Thank you for doing this podcast as it excites me to know and keep up the great work and know that I and many others will be here to hear all the next episodes. That is lit listed by a gentleman named Scott Smiles who goes by the handle ARP151. Scott, I'm so excited to hear that you can relate. Anytime that you can really connect and have that connection and have that sen same sense of bewilderment. And again, 
I was in my early 20s and, and learning all these, so I can't imagine what it was like being younger and receiving them, but I know that it was an exciting time, and I'm glad we can share it here, and I, I did share that in Gimme Gimme Gimmick, a really fun episode. Thank you so much again for taking the time to type this out, to leave it, to, sh- to post it. Scott, I appreciate it so much. It was my pleasure to read it. Thank you all so much for supporting this show. I am all over social media. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, the full name. Got a blue check. It tells you it's really me. I am on Instagram as Rob Liefeld. I was able to get the Rob Liefeld before um, it got squatted, unlike Twitter. Twitter at Robert Liefeld. Instagram at Rob Liefeld. I'm all over both. This page as a dedicated page on Facebook, Rob's Relations with Rob Liefeld. Like it. Um, give it a like. Subscribe. Say hi to us over there. I also have a group called Rob Liefeld, an extreme group. That group, if you reach it and you want to join, know that you'll be either modified, moderated, applied in by Terry Sala or myself. That gives you a clue that you know that you have landed on the right group. Terry Sala or Rob Liefeld are the administrators. We would love to have you. There is so much going on professionally with me, my characters, all of the different projects that I have worked on over the last 36 years, and we talk about all of it um, under the umbrella of Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. Please join it. Join us. We are excited to have you. We are adding people every day. It is blowing up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know that at the end of every episode, I focus on how you are doing, and I want you very much to take your time to kick back, put your legs up, recline, lay down on the couch, lay down on the beanbag, listen to good music, put the headphones on, watch a great show, streaming, movie, whatever, The Gray Man, The Boys, um, um, you know, whatever cool Stranger Things, whatever cool stuff is available, whatever's coming on, you know, um, on demand, the Northman, an old favorite, the Godfather, you know, Close Encounters, any of the amazing libraries of these great um, auteurs that we're so fortunate are still making movies for us, like Martin Scorsese, like like Steven Spielberg. You guys take care of yourself, enjoy yourself, fill yourself with good stories, fun stuff. Have a candy bar, have a great bag of chips, or have a you know five star meal. Have a nice juicy steak. Have some have some sea bass. Okay. Uh, whatever it is, treat yourself, treat yourself right. Give yourself that, that soul feeding, you know, inspirational experience. Go to the bookstore, wander the aisles, look for some books, some graphic novels, some manga. This is the stuff that I do. I highly suggest it. It re-inspires me. It reconnects me. Your mental, spiritual, physical, and emotional self are so very important. You've got to attend to them. I am always rooting for you. I wish you nothing but the absolute best. Thank you for lending your ear to these observations that I jot down. This Marvel versus DC series is going to be a lot of fun. Don't, do not, do not, do not miss the next swing around the cul-de-sac because I will be here, I will be waiting, and we will most certainly talk again real soon. (laughs) 